As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. David Rosenberg joins now with Rosenberg Research. He is the best in the world at parsing inflation. I will not mince words about it. David, on the Bloomberg, I can look at CPI inflation back to World War I, and the average over the many 110 years is 3.1%. Part of that are the spikes up, which are hugely stochastic and come down quickly. Will we disinflate rapidly? I think we will, Tom, and I think that you're already seeing it in a lot of uh, indicators. Uh, I'll mention three. Uh, Commodity prices uh, are well off their highs. Uh, Even though oil prices have hung in in the past couple of weeks, they're down more than 20% uh, from the peak. Base metal prices are down 25%. Um, You know, you've got lumber is down more like 70%. Uh, So the commodity complex, uh, which hasn't shown up yet, you know, in that 40% chunk of the CPI called goods, you know, the stuff that you can see, right. touch and feel. Commodities are, are deflating. Uh, you've got freight costs across the board. I mean, look at the, the Baltic Dry Index. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And well, then, well, then well, I want to stop there, David. This is, David. The, the US dollar is up 12% year over year. Does anybody in the world think that you've seen all the pass-through right. uh, from the strength in the dollar into goods prices? And the answer is no. This will all show up in the next 12 months. David, Lizanne Saunders featured Baltic Dry Index yesterday. Explain to our global audience the symbolism of the cratering of the Baltic Dry Index. Well, I think a lot of it is the byproduct of the fact that global demand is coming under downward pressure. Uh, I would also say that we are seeing, notwithstanding the ongoing war uh, in the Ukraine, which doesn't seem to make the front pages of the paper anymore, you are starting to see an unclogging in a lot of the port congestion uh, globally. And so you're seeing the supply side thaw out. You know, where you're seeing that most evidently, Tom, uh, is in the survey data on supply delivery delays, uh, which have come down dramatically across every single survey, Richmond Fed, Kansas City Fed, Philly Fed, New York Empire. And, you know, it's very interesting from 
a Fed perspective is that, you know, about five months ago, Jay Powell said that, you know, we're going to operate policy blindly uh, relative to what's happening on the supply side. Uh, the Fed made a decision five months ago that we are just going to concentrate on demand destruction uh, getting or getting demand growth below supply, which I think is a wise policy. But you see the supply side is finally taking hold and creating the disinflation before you've ever even seen any of the lagged impacts that the Fed has already done, you know, through rates and QT on the demand side. Uh, so you have the supply curve actually becoming more elastic at a time when the Fed is engaging in a policy that's going to really kill demand. So explain to me as we get the chalkboard out and you draw these demand supply curves, how does inflation not absolutely collapse in the next year? You know, I, I, say, I say this to my clients. They look at me like I'm crazy. Oh, no, uh, that. But, uh, <laughs> no, not all of them do. Megan Swiber uh, over at uh, Bank of America would not look at you like you're crazy because she's still expecting rate cuts next year. And it's not because she doubts the reaction function from the Fed, but she also sees the prospect of inflation coming down very rapidly as we head into the second half of 2023. At what point, and this is really head spinning, does this become in some ways good news for the market because they can start to price in a softer touch or a softer approach from the Federal Reserve? Well, so what's going to happen at some point, and who knows when, with this Fed in particular? I mean, when Neil Kashkari becomes the biggest hawk on the FOMC, you know you're in a whole new world altogether. So what happens historically is the Fed pauses. And a tightening cycle always ends, just like an easing cycle always ends. And then with the pause, you get a relief rally. But then what happens is that the recessionary pressures take hold. Then what happens is the Fed cut rates, and we've seen this so many times in the past, and you get another relief rally. Uh, and then once again, the recession pressures take hold. Uh, when they pause, you want to be very wary about the relief rally. You can rent it. You can't own it. And even after, after the first rate cut in a recessionary bear market, the market doesn't bottom after the first rate cut. You know when the market bottoms? The market bottoms after the last rate cut. After you get the last rate cut and the market sees the whites of the eyes of the recovery, that's the fundamental low. Yeah, you know, well, that might be 12, that might be 12 months from now. So beware the pause will generate headline news. You folks report on the pause, then they'll cut rates and then we'll have a pop in the market. And everybody will think that, you know, the bull market's uh, right in front of us. But no, 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 no. Uh, if you want to pay attention to the historical record and we know that history rhymes, the time to go super long the markets to understand when the fundamental low is, is actually after the last rate cut when the Fed re-steepens the yield curve. Usually the two tens curve is plus 140 basis points, median and mean by the time the market bottoms. We are so long away from that right now, it's not even funny. Well, but David, to John's point earlier on the show when he was talking to Sebastian Page, he said, is being bullish fighting the Fed right now? Because exactly what you pointed to, Neil Kashkari coming out and saying he was disappointed to see that the market was rallying after uh, that Powell speech and that he uh, isn't terribly unhappy and maybe even happy to see that the market is selling off in response to the latest guidance. How much are we looking for a weakening in the, uh, it's heightening in the financial conditions in order to satisfy the Fed's desire in terms of transmitting their policy? Right. Well, um, that's the question. Um, I, I, I'm paying attention to what the Fed is telling us. Uh, I think they're wrong. Uh, I think that Powell's already told us we are operating policy uh, without focusing on what's happening on the supply side of the economy. Uh, of course, after 16 months, the grand total of 16 months, which in the annals of economic history, 
is still transitory, the Fed has given us valuable information. We are operating policy uh, without actually focusing on what's happening on the supply side anymore. They're, they're not relying on the fact that these bottleneck pressures are going to continue to ease, although all the data are showing that they are easing. So they're focused on the demand side. So the question becomes, um, given where the Fed thinks sees the, the supply curve going, right. how far do they have to contract demand? How far do financial conditions have to tighten to get to that holy grail? In their model, I would say, and I've tried to copy their model, it's uh, the lowest 3,100 on the S&P, okay, and high yield spreads are 700 basis points. David. That's, the, that's the matrix. That's the combination that we'd have to get to to make, right. to, to make Kashkari more comfortable with where the market well, oh, oh, you're, you're, there's a little bit of the Rosenberg humor there this morning. Uh, David, <laughs> off of Jackson Hole. And the codification of 2% is the goal, is the idea that it's not one America. I've been talking all morning about a heterogeneous America, heterogeneous outcomes. It is a challenge for any central bank. What does the Fed do about two, three, and even four Americas? Blanche Flower is apoplectic over the oddities of the American labor market. Do they need to look at us as one America? Or can they study two, three, or even four Americas? No, I'd say that monetary policy has to be a national policy. Uh, you can't carry out a policy based on a uh, couple of segments of the economy or a couple of socioeconomic segments. I know, look, this time last year, Jay Powell was sounding more like a social worker. You really have to take a, a national approach. Uh, and I'd be the first to say, by the way, that, you know, with the unemployment rate where it is, the participation rate where it is, uh, that's obviously on the Fed's mind is the, the the tightness of the labor market. This is so bizarre, Tom, that we would have had a year. Whether you Okay, the debate about GDI and GDP is a complete waste of time. Let's take both measures together and just come to a conclusion that the economy is flat whether you look at it from an income perspective in real terms or spending. It's basically a flat economy. And, and here the consensus is 300,000 on non-farm payrolls on Friday. Does anybody stop to think, why would a flat economy need to be adding any jobs at all? Uh, that's the oddity. Uh, unless, you think, unless you think potential is negative, which to me is ridiculous. Um, so I think at some point, let me just say at some point, and this is where the tightening policy by the Fed is kiboshed is when you start to see the erosion at the labor market. I think that's really what they're waiting for. Well, David, you just touched on it. I'll be a little bit more diplomatic. The chairman <laughs> in the past has demonstrated how sensitive he is to the political mood in the moment. If unemployment starts climbing, do you expect to see the same chairman pound again? Well, I don't know if... <clears throat> We'll see the same Chairman Powell again, but do I think that the Fed will respond to a loosening in the labor market? I think they're waiting for that. Uh, I think all of us have been waiting for at least the participation rate to start going up. Uh, I mean, nobody wants to see outright job loss, but the big surprise has been, and, and maybe, there's, maybe there's something to this long COVID story in terms of how it's impairing the participation rate. Uh, nobody wants to see employment go down. You can actually see the unemployment rate actually go up if the participation rate uh, starts to go up. So that's going to be very critical. But do I think that if the unemployment rate goes up uh, three, four, five tenths where it is today, that they're done? I think that's all it would take. In fact, usually when you get three or four tenths of an increase in, in the unemployment rate, the lagging indicator that it is, the recession has already started. David. Um, so that, that's, yeah. So I think that I think that would be enough to, to push the Powell pivot back on the front burner. 
We appreciate your view. As always, David Rosenberg there of Rosenberg Research. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's get to Seb Page. So we, Sebastian Page joins us now. Zero Price CIO and Head of Global Multi-Asset. Sebastian, awesome to catch up. I'll ask that question I asked of Lisa. If I'm bullish stocks, am I fighting this Fed? You know, Lisa said that the Fed expects a gangbuster economy. I don't think that's the case. I actually think that not only is the Fed put gone, but there's a Fed call in the sense that any good news gets taken away by the Fed's need to tighten. So, yes, I think you are fighting the Fed if you're bullish. It's hard to find anybody that's bullish now on your show. I saw you try with prior guests today. I just came back from a trip to Australia and Japan meeting with the world's largest, some of the world's largest pools of capital. And I couldn't get anybody to say anything optimistic about the economy or markets. Seb, I'm not going to mince words. For our listeners and viewers, this is the most important conversation of the day because of your book, Beyond Diversification. Peter Lynch called it diversification. Given the cards we have into the autumn, into 2023, what character of diversification should we be right now? Over-diversified or a more focused effort to guess the right instruments? You know, Tom, I love that question. And the number one question around diversification is, will bonds, treasuries in particular, diversify stocks if we're heading towards recession risk? And I think they will. And in fact, we've closed our underweight bonds to go back to neutral. We've had a year where diversification between stocks and bonds has completely disappeared. The drawdown in bonds has been unprecedented. And the co-drawdown between stocks and bonds has shaken investors worldwide. So we do need to rethink portfolio construction. Tom, I would say we're going through a paradigm shift in terms of portfolio construction. And the role of bonds will be diminished. But to the extent we get growth shocks, you still want to own some treasuries. So, Sebastian, I, I want to clarify what I was trying to get at earlier when I was talking about the Fed. Basically, there is a belief that the economy is so strong that it can withstand and requires a big dose of pain in terms of how high rates go and how long they have to hold them there. That was sort of the message from Jackson Hole. And then they still reiterated the soft landing scenario uh, in one Fed official after another. The, the bull argument, ironically, is pushing back against that, seeing the deceleration already here, that things aren't that strong and it 
won't require as much pain as executed by the Fed. Do you believe that? I mean, basically, do you think that that's what people are doing right now and that you should lean against that and believe what they're saying and that basically bet on a hard landing right now? Look, I always say you should stay invested no matter what if your horizon is, say, longer than 12 months. But we are underweight stocks at the moment. We're watching this. We're not ready to get back in. Again, we are in stocks for the long run, but we are underweight. There are ways to play a more sort of soft landing scenario from a tactical asset allocation perspective. For example, through small caps. I think small caps are already pricing in a very deep recession. And so to the extent you get a recession, maybe they will go down with the market. And to the extent that you get anything that's not as bad as that, a soft or softest landing, then maybe you have some upside at some point with small caps. It takes some courage to lean in. But the valuation spread, look, large caps are in the 90th percentile of their historical valuation relative to small caps. So large caps, expensive relative to small caps. Then you get a strong dollar, which tends to be more of a headwind for large caps. So there are ways to play offense, but I call it, I, I don't call it offense. I call it playing aggressive defense. And one thing I would say, Lisa, is there is no doubt the tone was hawkish. In fact, there was no new information in Jackson Hole in the speech. It was a short speech, no messy press conference to mix up the message but definitely a hawkish tone with, you mentioned the word pain, resolve, unconditional. Powell mentioned price stability 10 times. How many times did he mention unemployment? Zero. We'll see and if that changes at the, the end of the year. It was in the case of the cost of bringing inflation down. Yep, Sebastian Page of T. Rowe Price said, well said, buddy, on a number of things. Anthony like, Thank Jones you. just about walked <laughs> off the camera. Joining us now from Charles Schwab, the chief uh, fixed income strategist, Kathy Jones. Kathy, where do bonds fit in a portfolio? Help me here. It's August. I'm reframing for the Q4. I'm reframing for ownership of fixed income into 2023. And I'm sorry, I'm lost. How, where does it fit into a portfolio? Yeah, Tom, I, you know, obviously it's been a very tough year and there's been a lot of questions about whether bonds can deliver that diversification benefit that they have for so many years. But I would argue this, that you still get capital preservation and now you're actually getting income in fixed income. So I think there's still a valid reason to have fixed income. Obviously, you need to be pretty strategic about the amount that you have and the type that you have. We like having higher credit quality. And um, we're moving out in duration as, as yields move up so that we can capture some of that income stream longer term. Kathy, what does credit fit in, given the difficulties we could face later this year? Yeah, we're very cautious on credit, particularly high yield. Um, you know, the spreads moved up, then they came down, it's starting to move up again. But we just don't think high yield is priced to deliver the kinds of returns we'd like to see in a slowing economy and potential recession uh, scenario. So I'd be pretty careful on high yield. Uh, investment grade, you know, we think is okay. We wouldn't take a huge amount of duration risk, but some of the bigger companies with solid balance sheets uh, should be able to deliver. And you can get decent income in investment grade corporates right now. And locking some of that in and even a five-year duration uh, is going to give you north of 4%, which is, which is not bad 
for an income investor. When you look internationally, Kathy, and you look at some of the projections for the ECB raising rates, possibly by 75 basis points uh, next month, how much does that change your outlook more broadly, considering the regime that we've seen and considering uh, how much pain we have seen uh, transpire in the Euro project? Yeah, it, you know, our firmest conviction this year is that the yield curve will, will invert and uh, that inversion will deepen. And the harder the central banks go in that direction in terms of raising rates to crush inflation, the more likely we are to see that inversion continue. So it doesn't really change the scenario. It actually, I guess, reinforces the idea that um, if the ECB tightens aggressively into a very weak economy on top of the Fed and all the other central banks, it's really hard to see that we avoid some sort of global recession. And that should mean you know, more and more inversion in yield curve. So, and that means also the reason why you're more enthusiastic about duration. What does that mean in terms of the likelihood of the credit declines that you expect, not only in the U.S., but also in Europe? I mean, you're talking about being very cautious on high yield. What's the magnitude of the potential losses that you see versus just simply strategically being away from them as you wait for this to play out? Yeah, it's more of a strategic decision. Um, obviously, triple C's, you know, the very lowest credit quality. Uh, we're always a little bit cautious on that, but particularly that's a pro-cyclical position, and this is not the time to be in the lowest credit quality. So we think, you know, you could see uh, spreads widen 150 basis points or so in the high-yield area, and there's just not a lot of uh, potential reward for the risk that you're taking in that uh, that area now investment grade looks a little bit stronger you know a lot of these companies have turned out their debt over the long term so we don't see quite as much risk there but it's right. you know definitely credit is, is pro-cyclical and this is not the time to be overweighting credit yeah I, I, well i think i agree with that when i look at the charts kathy i just looked at a, a vanilla corporate piece a quality name everybody knows and i'm sorry it's had an ugly august and i look at the bloomberg total return index it's now down 14 even 15 percent from the peak but what concerns me kathy is in the last week it's rolled over again to lower price higher yield what are the ramifications if that index breaks through the let me get the date john if it breaks through the june low i mean i mean it's stunning yeah, you know, I think what we're reflecting here is this combination of fear of Fed rate hikes and deteriorating economic growth. So if we, we break that low, I don't know that there's a, a huge significance to it. I don't think that we're going to see huge amounts of flows in and out based on, you know, levels anymore. Um, anybody who wanted to exit fixed income or the credit markets has probably done so already at this stage of the game and moved to very short-term treasuries. Uh, but, you know, it, it continues to wear on this, uh, the total return in portfolios overall. You know, you're not making money in stock, you're not making money in bonds. And, uh, and I think that people just will tend to want to be in safer and safer assets if they continue to see deterioration. Kathy Jones, Kathy, love catching up with you. Miss the piano. Miss the piano. Really do. Did you see Lizzie Burden yesterday, Tom, with a piano behind her? Yeah. I told her the surveillance rules that if you turn up with a piano, you've got to play Thank it you. yeah she said it wasn't in tune yeah well yeah. that's a good a good catch when a good I play, yeah, john when Kathy, i play the you. piano in tune it sounds like it's not in tune
nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Jeffrey Yu joins us, senior email market strategist at BNY Mellon. It is a jumble in August, Jeffrey Yu. If you were having the next cup of coffee with Jerome Powell, what would you say he needs to watch globally for September? Globally for September, look at what your peers are doing. Are they going to follow you and say not only are rates going to go up, but they're going to go up for a sustained period? Europe is next. What are the BOEs going to do for so much, for, for such a while? Markets been pricing in a quick, aggressive move by the BOE and then cuts towards the end of 23 or maybe early 24. Is that going to happen now? Because if Europe is now looking at sustained high rates for some time, uh, then that's going to constrain global growth. And then you just ask, where is the growth going to come from? Jeff, on your tour, meeting clients, do you meet any bulls? Because we're struggling no. to find them. No, well, I am in Europe, you know, right now. So within Europe, uh, until there is a plan to deal with the energy situation, it sounds like behind the scenes, you no know, plans are being formulated. Uh, then we'll just go and revisit, you know, once we see what the plans are. But then again, you know, being the UK where, um, you know, let's just say there is a bit of a vacuum, you know, at the very top right now, we're waiting for plans. It's really hard to know, you know, what the outlook is, you know, when there is just no plan. At some point, things get better and they come in better than expected, Jeff. Do you think the market is positioned for that kind of story? Have we seen that wash out in any way, shape or form from, from your perspective? Well, I always go back to positioning, you know, just looking at how markets have their asset allocation right now in terms of your risk assets. So you're still relatively overweight U.S. assets. You're still overweight the dollar. So there's only one direction uh, to go. You want to wait for that trigger. So if I want to construct a positive narrative, you know, maybe China is, you no, know, not right now. We probably you know, could use a bit of uh, a bit more disinflation from China. But heading into next year, just as the world, you know, needs a bit of a growth kick, that external demand may come from China's normalization story. So that's something I'm holding out for maybe six months or further down the line. Uh, but at this point, best to stay conservative. Go back to positioning. Where positioning is lightest in risk, where you're going to see the greatest positivity. Jeff, another way of asking what John was getting at is, have we priced in fully a recession in Europe, a downturn that flirts with recession, or is one in the United States, and a sub-3% GDP handle on Chinese growth? Have we already priced that in to global markets? So we've certainly priced in recession in Europe, just looking at how the euro is treading water around parity right now. 3%, you know, China, uh, 
So it really depends on which day, because if I look at you know, how Chinese equities are performing, especially in the tech space, I think markets are actually looking for positivity, looking for um, some relief on the regulatory side, you know, looking for perhaps down the line some normalization uh, in societal restrictions as well. So actually uh, in China, 3% may be headline growth investment driven, but the Chinese consumer, the household, probably not as bad. And US certainly not a recession yet, as long as the labor market's in rude health. But let's see after Friday, uh, maybe that could change as well. So Jeff, if that's the case, what would you have to see to not be quite as bearish, right, to not be quite as conservative if the positioning right now is pretty gloomy? Uh, so to not be bearish, I think we see a peaking in inflation numbers because you know, that then you know that the household starting to show some restraint. And then on top of that, um, as Chen Powell has already said, and probably global central banks, they're going to keep rates high probably for a little longer than expected. Then you have that dual problem right. approach whereby growth is going to come off. So right. you need to be light at the end of the tunnel for inflation expectations. That's the bottom line. Jeff, you, you and I were trained that in finance, four standard deviations is a substantial move. And we learned that in medicine, six standard deviations is maybe equivalent because of the resiliency of the human body. German inflation is reported moments ago off the long-term trend as a really elegant study of nine standard deviations. We have never seen this. How do we extricate ourselves from a nine standard deviation move? Well, let me tell you how our data showing the euro is trying to position itself for that. We are at three and a half times usual level of euro holdings short. Within our positioning days, especially for the majors, anything beyond one and a half times short or long then I sit up and take notice. Euro is at three and a half already. So do you chase that or do you fade it? You know, so right now it's like heart says fade it, you know, but head said you probably, well, you don't want to chase it, but you certainly don't want to gain, go against that right now. So the market is pushing this. They want to see how low things can get before we get a policy reaction and more importantly, a plan, you know, from the European Commission, from the energy minister, from the energy ministers. Um, but uh, going back to your stand, nine standard deviation movement, markets are really close by euro standards to enforcing that case. Jeff, some of these numbers, this from Goldman this morning, just reading this note, that inflation could top 22% next year in the UK if natural gas prices remain elevated in the coming months. So City last week at 18%, that would be the peak for UK CPI for them. Bank of England's got it at 13 Jeff, can you get your head around that kind of number in the UK, 22%? Well, it really is going to be a struggle um, for the BOE to you know, try to communicate that. And to be frank, you know, looking at the consumption data in the UK right now, uh, we aren't exactly you know, seeing that retrenchment you know, in spending. So it looks right. like the household is actually doing OK. So is there a gap between reality and uh, what's going on the ground? So we need to see some convergence at this point. Until we get that convergence, you know, we will be painful. Then, I'm sorry, the central bank message is going to be very, very fierce. You know, hold back right, right now. Inflation is going to get out of control. Jeff, you just sterling trade weighted reach the John Major weaknesses of 1992. Uh, so um, very um, uh, loth to uh, try to make those comparisons because there was a de-pegging involved you know, at yeah. that point. But put it this way, right? If they want to you know, limit the fallout, you know, from um, an exchange rate and a collapse, and then we need a plan. You know, right now, that could come as early as next week, right? To match the euro at least to save the household, especially on the lower income side. That is absolutely necessary at this point. The market's anticipating that if the new government comes short, you know, then. I think comparisons with 1992 are going to be drawn. So let's wow. revisit time. 
Jeff Yu, thank you, sir, FBNY Mellon. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.